0: 1 Samuel chapter number 6, to give you the context of where we're at, Israel here has gotten a little careless. They've gotten careless in their relationship with the Lord. Eli, the high priest, would not reign in his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Those two were doing absolutely wicked things, and Eli would not, the high priest, would not reign them in. So little Samuel is living in the temple. And God tells him what's going to happen. And all that uh, is in chapter number three. In chapter number four, what God predicts happens. Israel goes off to war, and they suffer a mild defeat. So they say, this doesn't happen to us. We don't get beat like this. So let's get the Ark of the Covenant out here so we can win. So Hophni and Phinehas bring out the Ark of the Covenant. And then Israel suffers a devastating defeat. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. The ark is captured. This is an unthinkable thing. The ark is captured by the Philistines. And when Eli, the high priest, hears the news, he falls off of his chair backwards and breaks his neck and dies. That's chapter number 5. That's chapter number 4. In chapter number 5, the Philistines who have the ark realize that this is not all that's cracked up to be. When Israel had carried this thing into battle, they were to be feared. But now that the Philistines have it, they find that this thing is racking havoc wherever they have it. No matter what city they put it in, devastating things are happening in those cities. And so nobody wants this thing. So they keep moving it around, and everybody's like, don't put that in our house. But everywhere they move it, the town gets devastated. So they get together, and in chapter number 6, they're trying to figure out, how do we get rid of this thing? They've got it, and they want to get rid of it. And so we'll pick up the narrative in chapter number 6 as they're trying to figure out how do they get rid of this ark. Verse number 1, "'And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, "'What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to its, his place.' And they said, "'If you send it away to the, of the, of the, the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty.' But in any wise return a trespass offering, then shall you be healed, and ye shall be, it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then said they, what shall, we, what shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. Wherefore, ye shall make images of your emeralds, and images of the mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto God of Israel. Peradventure, he will lighten his hand from off you, and from your gods, and from your land. Wherefore, do ye then harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go, and they departed? Now therefore, make a new cart, and take two milch kine, on which there hath come no yoke. And tie kind to the ark, and bring their calves home from them. And take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the cart, and put jewels of gold, which he will return him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away, that it may go. And see if it goeth, if it goeth up by the way of its own coast of Beth Shemash, then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it was not his hand that smote us, but it was a chance that happened to us. And the men did so, and took two milch kine and tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark on the Lord upon the cart, and the coffer with the mice of gold, and the images of the emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them, Unto the borders of Beth Shemesh. Interesting story. I trust that you were able to follow what was all taking place there. If you didn't, the, the priest said, Hey, you, gotta, you better pay a trespass offering to the Lord here. So you're going to put these gold offerings, one from every group of you guys, into this jar. You notice they didn't open the ark? Later on, the Israelites make that mistake and open the ark. These guys would not open that ark. They just put it alongside. They put it on the, on the cart. And what they did was they took two cows that had calves, and they put the calves away. So the calves are bawling, and the moms are pulling this cart. And the, surely the moms would going to go back to the calves, but instead they head straight for Israel. And that's how they knew that it was the hand of God. That's, that's going to be our test to see if this was just a happenstance, that just happened to us, or whether God actually did this. That's what the story is. I don't know about you, but I'm not much at going to the doctor. When I go, the fact of the matter is I like to take Carol along. It's not because I'm like twelve, you know, when you were six years old and you didn't want to go to the doctor by yourself. It's not that I don't want to go by myself. But when I go, I like to take care along because I hate to do the paperwork. I despise all the paperwork they make you do, and Carol, she seems like that doesn't bother her at all, and so I like to take her along. They always want to know your family history, the health history of your family. How am I supposed to know if my great-great-great-great-grandfather ever had warts? I, I can't remember my own health history, much less all the relatives I ever had. What they're trying to figure out is your genetic tendencies. Certain medical conditions are hereditary. There are certain heart diseases, and there are certain cancers. And it's probably best to know what things you're at greater risk for so that you can kind of do whatever is necessary to be the the greater part of wisdom is to protect yourself in those areas. We have these genetic difficulties. There is, however, one disease that runs through all of the bloodlines. It has infected all of our relations, and we have either had it, we have it, or in, are in danger of getting it. And that is a hard heart. This morning I want to look at the cause of a hard heart, the cost of a hard heart, and the cure for a hard heart. These are happen to be alliterated. I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't plan it that way, but that's the way it is. Title of this morning's message, A Hard Heart. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you. We rejoice what you have already taught us this morning through the Bible reading and through the singing of hymns, through the special music. Father, we thank you for that. We ask now that you would teach us from your word, by your spirit, drawing us to yourself. Lord, I ask that no one would escape this morning that everyone would hear your voice speaking in their hearts, drawing them to yourself. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Of course, when the Bible talks about a hard heart, when it talks about the heart, it is not talking about the organ that... Sorry, I bent my glasses this, this week. and they, When you have bifocals that are built in, now everything has changed. That's why I was stumbling over my Bible reading, because I bent them slightly, and now the angles are not all the same. So if I look a little cross-eyed to you, those you of know, you have glasses know why I'm doing that. <laughs> to tilt my head, okay? That's what you're doing up here when you're reading. You're trying to get this whole thing in focus. Anyway, when the Bible sp- speaks about a heart, it is not talking about the organ that pumps the blood through your system. It's not talking about that muscle that has four chambers and an aorta sticking out of it any more than when you sent a card to your sweetheart that was covered in hearts. You did not send one with a picture of that muscular organ on it. If you had done that, you would know what it means to have a broken heart because that would have been (laughs) the end of that whole relationship. But you know what we're talking about. When you send these hearts, what you say when you say, I heart you, it means that you are sending love from the center of who you are, from everything that you're made up of. It is from the very seat of your emotions and your will that's what these hearts represent. If a doctor, a surgeon, would remove my muscular heart and put in someone else's muscular heart within me, it would not change me very, really in the slightest. If, however, the heart that the Bible is talking about is changed, then the person himself is changed. Does that make sense to you? It is the heart. It is the center of who you are. It is the center of your emotions. So what is a condition known as a hard heart? What is that condition? A hard heart is when the center of who you really are will not respond to God. It is when the center of who you really are will not respond to God. He calls and you won't respond. That's a hard heart. When the center of who you really are will not respond to God. So what causes this condition? Well, to start with, the heart is hardened by each time we choose Not to listen to God. Each time we refuse to listen to God, each time we choose to not listen, our heart is hardened. It's interesting, but one of the definitions of the Hebrew word that's translated hardened here is to exalt oneself. Isn't that interesting? That word hardened is also translated to exalt oneself. In Daniel chapter number 5, a hard heart is linked with pride. In 2 Chronicles, a stiff neck is linked with, with a hard heart. And in Psalm 95, a hard heart is linked with an act of the will. Now, consider what we're describing here. God trying to talk with us and we will not respond. Okay, now try to get that picture in your mind. Think about who God is. We have the supreme ruler of the universe. We have the creator and sustainer of all things. We have God who only does, as the choir said, good things. Okay, He only does good things. He only means your best. And he asks of you something. He tells you something that needs to be altered or changed. Now think about you. Think about a, a human being. How little and insignificant... And the response from this little insignificant you is, I'm not listening. Remember when you, your sister would try to tell you something, you go, la, 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 I'm not listening. You remember that? Okay. <laughs> How often do you do that with God? I'm not listening. He's trying to talk. I'm not listening. How often does this little insignificant nothing say, I hear you, but that's not the direction I'm going. I've got a better plan in my, in my mind. And how often does a little insignificant nothing say, excuse me, but I've already made my choice. Can you see this almighty God? Can you get the picture in your mind? Almighty God saying something for your good and you sitting there like this or like this. Is that not a pathetic picture? It almost makes you shudder to think that it would even happen. But, my friend, it happens all of the time. It's a very common occurrence, and it is exactly how a heart is hardened. Each time we ignore or refuse or defy God, it just hardens the heart that much more. Now, there's a lot of ways that we could illustrate this, but I have one that I really like. I think it is really the clearest. If you are ever drilling a piece of metal, okay, ladies are probably not familiar so much with this, but if you're drilling a piece of metal, you have a drill bit and the drill bit at the end of it is sharp. And when you drill a piece of metal, you turn the bit slowly, but you turn it with pressure behind it so that the bit is cutting all of the time. Now, if you've ever done this, you'll know that when you're cutting just right, there is a spiral that looks like a spring that comes off of the metal because the bit is the same as peeling an apple. Have you ever tried to peel an apple without breaking the the peel and you just continually are are cutting? This is what the, the bit continually cuts and out comes this spiral of metal. It means that you are continually cutting. That's what's supposed to happen. If instead you do not put enough pressure on the piece, and you let the bit skip on top of the metal. Instead of cutting, it's just skipping there, and what it's doing is heating up the metal. And as it heats the metal, it is hardening the metal. And it's called work hardening. And therefore, the act of drilling is actually make it harder to drill. Eventually, it will get so hard that you can't drill through it. It is work hardening. This is why almost always when you drill metal of any thickness, you use a drill press so that you can put a constant pressure on it so that the bit keeps coming, cutting. Each time God tells us something, each time we listen to the word of God and we do not let it cut, and we just let it skip on the surface of our heart, we put it aside, we don't let it have the its effect it's supposed to have. We are hardening our heart. We are letting our heart be hardened. Our heart is made that much harder as we refuse. When you walk by your Bible, you've got your Bible sitting on your dresser or on the kitchen table. You walk by your Bible and your mind says, you need to read that and you go on your merry way and let it go, you just harden your heart. You let that knowledge of what you should have done skip without cutting, without having the effect it was supposed to have. When you pick up your Bible and you read it, and you do not let the words cut and make have the effect that they would have, the very act of reading your Bible hardens your heart because it is not cutting when you choose to do something on Sunday morning instead of go to church, you make that conscious choice, and it hardens your heart. But when you come and sit in the pew and let the truth just go by you and it doesn't change you, you are also hardening your heart. It is the act of refusing to do, to listen to what God has to say. And each time that happens, our heart is made that much harder. Let me give you a little bit different illustration for those of you who are not working with metal. Maybe you work out in the garden. I have two tools that you use similarly. I have a short handled sledgehammer. If You don't know what a sledgehammer it is? It is a big hammer. It's, mine's a three pound sledge. It's got a handle about that long. It's got a head about that big around, weighs three pounds. I also have a gardening tool. It's got the same length of handle, but on the front, it looks like a pick or a shovel on the front of it. It's about the same size. It's not nearly as heavy as the sledge. Okay, I have these two tools. They use the same motion like that, right? That's how you use them. Now, I take the sledgehammer, and I start hitting the ground with the sledge. It never breaks the surface, but what does it do? It packs the dirt. And as it packs the dirt, each strike packs the dirt, and guess what? The only thing I'm gonna grow in that spot is weeds. I don't know how weeds survive in that, but they always do. You pack that down, and the very act of of moving on it, since I'm not breaking the surface, I pack the dirt. It hardens the dirt. If I take the other tool, and I use the exact same motion in this spot. Each time that it hits, that shovel breaks the surface just a little bit. And every strike that I make on it, what does it do to that dirt? It breaks it totally up, softens it, and I can plant anything there and it'll grow. When we let this, the Word of God, when we let the commands of God cut us and do the work that it's intended. Our heart is softened. And when we let it strike without breaking the surface, without doing the cut, it hardens our heart. And so we were in a constant state of either hardening or softening our heart. What is the cause of a hard heart? Each time we choose to ignore, to refuse, or defy God, our heart is hardened towards Him. You know, there's a huge danger in letting this happen. Because eventually your heart becomes so hard that it cannot respond to God. This is the danger. Your heart can get so hard that it cannot respond to God. Dad said something in prayer meeting. We have, after prayer meeting, you know, after we look through the verses, we have discussion. Dad said something the other day in a different context that I have thought about a great deal. He said, sin cannot be controlled. Even the devil cannot control it. And I got to thinking about that. Sin always gets out of control. Now, he's talking about a different context, but put it into this context Ignoring and refusing and defying God is sin, and sin eventually gets out of control. See if we can get a handle on this. Suppose you had your car parked in front of the parsonage there. Not this way, but this way. This is east and west, okay? So you have it parked east and west. I think you can envision if you've been here, if you've been on the property enough, you know what what that looks like. It's fairly flat in in front of the parsonage there. This asphalt is fairly flat. So you've got it sitting there, and you've got it in neutral. Okay, so you push it to the east three feet, and then you run on one, go on the other front side of it, and you push it to the west three feet. And you could push that car back and forth all day long, all right? Back and forth, back and forth, three feet, three feet, three feet, three feet. Okay, but what happens if you push the car east ten times in a row? After you get to about the seventh time, you're at 21 feet, and now, you know what, getting it to go back west is going to be very difficult because you have already started to crest the hill here. And when you get it to your tenth time, you are getting a tow truck and getting it out of Art's house down there (laughs) because... It got out of control, and this is exactly what a hard heart does. It moves back and forth, but when we continually allow it to get harder and harder and harder, eventually it gets out of control, and no longer can you bring it back. No longer will it respond to God. This is a huge danger. This is exactly what happened in Egypt to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Before Moses ever even got there, Pharaoh was making choices against God. So Moses shows up and Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He makes a choice. Early on in the plagues, the Bible says, And Pharaoh hardened his heart and made his own choice. But in the later plagues, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. After four or five plagues, anybody in their right mind would say, you know what? We've got to let these people go. We've got to get them out of here. This is not going to work out well for us. But Pharaoh had made his choice. He's, he had chosen to harden his heart, and now it was out of his control. And now he can't let go. Now he hangs on until Egypt is totally, completely destroyed. There is nothing left of it. Anybody in their right mind would have let that go a long time ago, but he had made his choice early on. He had hardened his heart, and then he'd made his choice, and that's the way it was. And now he was living in his previous choices, living with this hardened heart. It's like when you grab something hot. You realize if you grab something hot, your initial initial reaction is to drop it, and you can do that. But do you know what happens if you do not drop it immediately? Your muscles contract, and your fingertips start to to melt to it, and now you cannot let it go. This is what a hard heart does. You, You made your choice, and now you can't unmake it. Your heart is hard and will not respond to God. In our passage of Scripture, the Philistines come to the religious leaders and say, how do we get rid of this ark? They're kind of waffling back and forth. Is this this the hand of God or is this just a coincidence that happened to us? Do we really want to give this thing back to Israel? They're really powerful if they have this ark. Do we really want to give this back to them? I think the religious leader's response is classic. Look at verse number 6. Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? And when he, that's God, had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? What are they saying here? He said, look, you guys better not be like the Egyptians. They'd heard this story. The Egyptians decided to not let the Israel go. They made their choice, and then they were trapped in it. They couldn't get out of it until God had totally devastated them, and Israel still left. God still got his way. Don't make that mistake. Do not harden your heart like the Egyptians did, because it's going to happen anyway, and you can't get around it, and you're just going to get rolled over in it. Do not harden your heart. Our pride, our stubborn will, our own desires and plans cause us to ignore or refuse or to defy God. And each time we do, our heart is hardened by that much. Eventually, the hardness takes over and there is no longer a choice. That is the cause of a hard heart. So what is the cost of a hard heart? If I have one, what's the big deal? Well, let's see what Scripture has to say about it. We'll just take them just in chronological order as they appear in the scriptures here. In Job chapter number nine, verse number four, he says, Job says, "Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered?" That's a good question. What he said is, name one person who's ever hardened himself against God and prospered. If I asked you to name one person, one society, or one country that has hardened themselves against God and prospered, you'd be hard-pressed to do so. Sure, you could. I could come up with names of ungodly people who have prospered financially and politically and in popularity. But of all those people that I've heard of that have prospered in those ways, Would I trade places with them? Not for anything that you could name. No way would I trade places with them. That is not what I call prospering life. It's very often better to look at people we know because we only see the glitz and glamour. That's all you see of those famous rich people, famous popular people, famous that, all that. And so you only see one side of the equation, all just the glitz and the glamour. But when we deal with people that we know. Can you name one person that you know who walked away from the Lord that prospered? Yeah, they might have a big job, a big business job. They may have a lot of money. But you know the situation and you look at their family situation. You look at their marriage You look at the the way their life's going and you say, yikes, I don't want that. I wouldn't want to have any part of that. We see it over and over and over again. People who have walked away from the Lord, you say, that does not prosper. It's an age-old truth that Job had even found in his day. Has any hardened himself against God and prospered? In Proverbs 28, 14, it says, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. You say, well, that doesn't sound too bad. He's just going to get into a little bit of mischief, because mischief is what little boys do that get themselves into a little bit of trouble. I don't know, but evidently the word usage has changed over time. Because this same word mischief here is used in three different places that I could find. One, it is, it is used, the same word is used to describe Haman's plot in the book of Esther. That doesn't sound like a little bit of mischief to me. He ended up hung on his little plot. In, uh, Proverbs, in Psalms chapter number 28, it is, defines the actions of the workers of iniquity. Okay, that doesn't sound like just a little bit of trouble. And in 1 Kings 11, it is used to describe a man named Hadad that was guilty of political insurrection and was a traitor to his country. The word defines out as calamity, distress, evil, and adversity. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. That's a pretty high price to pay. But the cost continues on. Isaiah 63, 17 says, O Lord, why hast thou made us to to err from thy ways and hardened our heart from thy fear? A hardened heart loses its fear of the Lord and opens us up into all kinds of evil. In Mark chapter number 3, verse number 15, it tells us the Lord was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Do you really want to grieve your Savior? Do you really want to grieve the blessed Holy Spirit who is your comforter? In Acts chapter number 19, verse numbers 8 and 9, there were those who hardened their heart. And they lost their ability to see truth clearly and became enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, to harden our heart seems like such a little thing. To review something to obey here. To ignore the Lord there. To choose our own way in this current situation. But each one of those hardens our heart And the cost of a hard heart is astronomical. So we've looked at the cause of a hard heart by ignoring or refusing or defying God. We've looked at the cost. Now what is the cure for a hard heart? What is the cure for a hard heart? Well, this really falls into two categories. Category number one, if you can hear, sorry, if you can still hear the voice of the Lord speaking in your heart, you're in this category. You better rejoice in that. If you can still hear the voice of the Lord speaking in your heart, you are still in category number one. One of the old writers illustrated it this way. I think it's a pretty good illustration. You're driving around Des Moines, you've got WHO on. As you head on vacation, you start out of town. The signal is still strong, right? But as you get farther and farther away, you start getting a little bit of static in the, in the channel. And then pretty soon, when you get down into the valleys, you can't hear it. But you pop back up on top of a hill, and you get the signal again, and you hear it again. And slowly that drifts off where eventually you don't hear it anymore this is a pretty good illustration of what we're talking about as we take these steps away from the Lord hardening our heart oh yeah I heard the voice and then you don't hear it. and oh yeah I heard it again and it kind of lulls us out as we slowly walk away from the Lord. To where finally we don't hear his voice any longer. If you're still able to hear the voice of the Lord, rejoice in that. But here is the cure for your hard heart. James chapter number four, verse number eight says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your heart. Sorry, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart the Lord, thou wilt not despise. Hosea 10, 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. What does this mean? Since hardening your heart is done by choice, quit choosing to do so. Quit ignoring, refusing, or denying God in any area of your life. Come running back to God and embrace what he's trying to do in your life. To use our illustrations, if you can still hear the voice of the Lord, The signal may be faint, but turn around and head back toward the signal. Head back where you came from. Come back to it so that you can hear that voice more clearly and more clearly and more clearly. Draw back to the Lord as fast as you can. If you have been pounding the ground with a sledgehammer, switch tools and let that sharp edge Break up, as Hosea says, that fallow ground. Let it break through all of those bad choices that you've made, all those refusing to do the will of God, where you have refused and ignored. Let it break through that. and Let it move and soften your heart back the way it should be. Quit just listening to truth and letting it skip over you without letting it change you. Let it have the work that it's supposed to do. So, what does that mean practically? That's just theory, you say. What does it mean practically? Well, it's simple. Practically speaking, whatever the Lord told you to do last, start there. Whatever that last thing was that you refused to do, start at that point. That bitterness that you would not give up, that envy, that small act of disobedience, that sin that you're harboring, run to God, confess the hardness of your heart, confess your disobedience, and embrace what he's trying to do. Obey what he says. And once you've done that, listen very closely, because a broken heart he will not despise. If you'll obey in that step, that you, the last step that you disobeyed in, he will give you another step towards himself. it will not take very long if you will listen and obey to break up that hard heart, to break up that fallow ground to where the Spirit of God, you can hear his voice speaking continually in your heart. But if you delay, there is grave, grave danger. I fear that in a crowd this size, there are some who come whose heart is already very, very hard. You come, but weeks will go by where nothing is done in your heart here. Every now and then the Spirit of God will speak to you. You hear that voice It's kind of like when you're going out of town and you crest that hill and you hear that voice again. You say, oh, everything's still okay. You don't obey. You just keep going. You're in grave, grave, grave danger. Because at some point, who knows but what the next hill will drown out that voice and you will no longer have a choice. All the previous choices to ignore or to refuse, or to defy, now become your choice. And you're in Category 2. Category 1 is people who still hear the voice of the Lord. Category 2 is people who don't. There is a time where the Spirit of God quits working, where you no longer hear the voice of the Lord. Now, we could debate this morning what that actually means in a life, but let's not do that this morning. Let's just agree to say that that's bad. It's something that you do not want to happen to you. Okay? But there is a, it is a reality that there is a place. The only chance a person has to have their heart softened at that point is for the Spirit of God himself to go back. Now this is where the prayers of God's people are extremely important because you can ask the Spirit of God to go back and deal with someone. God is gracious and merciful and he wants to do so, but your prayers can go up for, God, for people who have their hearts hardened and ask the Spirit of God to go back and to speak to them in a way that they can hear to make it a little more difficult for them to go through life the way it is, to do whatever it takes to bring them to their senses, you have the right, and we might say the obligation, to pray for people around you who are in that category, who cannot hear the voice of the Lord any longer for themselves. I have several on my prayer list who by all outward signs have either are either barely hearing the Spirit of God or are no longer hearing Him. And it is our privilege to ask the Spirit to go once again and speak to that heart. We gather here on a regular basis as friends. Each of us have a long history of hardening Our hearts. Our choosing to ignore and refuse and defy God cause our hearts to get harder. But the cost of having that hard heart is too high. We cannot afford to pay it. The cure is simply to run back to God and obey. Do you have a hard heart this morning? If so... What will you do about it today? Let's pray.